Radio.com. It is Wednesday, the 9th of August. It's the Feast of St. Edith Stein, also known as Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Let's pray a prayer by her in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O my God, fill my soul with holy joy, courage, and strength to serve you. Enkindle your love in me and then walk with me along the next stretch of road before me. I do not see very far ahead, but when I have arrived where the horizon now closes down, a new prospect will open before me and I shall meet it with peace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you woke up early to hang out with us on a Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Ken Craycraft along, our legal and political correspondent. And he's got news about Issue 1 and Ohio being defeated and what that means, especially for, well, what it means constitutionally, but also what it means for specific issues uh, that are going to be hitting the ballot in Ohio in November. Father Rob Jack will talk more about today's great saint, St. Teresa Benedicta, and the science of the cross. Gary Zimak will look at the story of Elijah and the widow in our own ongoing series uh, based on his book, When Your Days Are Dark, God is Still Good. And then Joe Heschmeyer along at the end of the hour. He's got a new book for Catholic Answers that we'll talk about here in a little bit as well. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning, Ohio voters, as Matt just said, have rejected a measure which would have made it harder to get abortion rights enshrined in the state constitution in November. Issue one was the only measure on the ballot in yesterday's special election in the state. It would have required at least 60 percent of voters to pass any future amendments to the state constitution rather than a simple majority. Russia is being accused of carrying out what's being called a, quote, particularly evil attack in Ukraine. Mark Mayfield reports. Officials say that Russia overnight fired a missile at an apartment building full of civilians in eastern Ukraine, then fired another missile at first responders. At least seven people were killed, including rescue workers. The attack came just as reports surfaced that Russia was plotting to assassinate Ukraine President Zelensky. I'm Mark Mayfield. Efforts to restore power are underway in some areas of the eastern United States after severe sl- storms slammed the region yesterday. At least two people were killed and hundreds of thousands were without power as of yesterday. Tornado watches and warnings stretched across 10 states from Tennessee to New York with high winds sending power lines into homes and roads. The severe weather also prompted thousands of flight delays and cancellations. The president of Vietnam met earlier this week with the country's bishops a little more than a week after meeting with Pope Francis, in which they signed a joint agreement. 
From Vatican Radio, Eduardo or Lisa Zingarini reports. The meeting lasted more than an hour and was attended by 10 government officials and nine Vietnamese bishops, including the president, Archbishop Joseph Nguyen Nang, along with five priests and two religious. The bishops who honoured the Vietnamese president with two gifts described the talks as open and sincere. During the meeting, President Van Turong acknowledged the contribution offered by the Catholic Church to Vietnamese society, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. He then spoke of his recent visit to Europe and to the Vatican. He said he was impressed by the meeting with Pope Francis on the 27th of July, specifically by the Holy Father's words on human fraternity. The Vietnamese president also expressed his appreciation for what Pope Francis said about the need to listen to others so as to understand them better. Father Dao Nguyen Vu, head of the Secretariat of the Vietnamese Bishops' Conference, then presented the activities of the Church in the country by offering some data and explaining that the Church only runs nursery schools, but no elementary, middle or high school. President Van Turong said he will consider the matter. Archbishop Nguyen Nang also spoke of the work of the Catholic Church at the service of the country. Relations between the Holy See and Vietnam were interrupted in 1975, but have seen encouraging developments since 1990, and especially after the establishment over 10 years ago of a Vietnamese Holy See joint working group, which has led to the July agreement to have a resident papal representative in Hanoi. I am Lisa Zengarini. Pope Francis this week has sent a letter to the priests of the Diocese of Rome entrusting them to the Salus Populi Romani. The Holy Father said, quote, I have asked her to guard and protect you, to dry your secret tears, to revive in you the joy of the ministry, and to make you every day shepherds in love with Jesus, end quote. And the planet Mars is apparently spinning faster Belgium scientists say data from NASA's decommissioned InSight Mars lander led them to discover the planet's rotation is accelerating by about 4 million milliarc seconds per year. 1,000 milliarc seconds equals one second. Why did they? I don't, Matt, I don't know. <laughs> They're just trying to help you. Uh... <laughs> Know what it is that you just said. Anyway, scientists said it could be from the ice accumulating on the polar caps, which results in a rise in land mass. Officials say they will continue to analyze the data. All right, so I'm looking at this. Apparently, a day on Mars, if I'm to trust the Internet, is Mm -hmm. 24 hours, 37 minutes, and 22 seconds. Okay, so a little bit longer than our day. I guess. But I don't know. But it's getting closer to our day if. It's his days are shortening. Right. So that means that if you move to Mars, then maybe you get like, do you get two more leap days or you get one day deleted? Oh, to keep it. To keep it, keep it lined up. I don't know, Anna Mitchell. When I get to Mars, I'll let you know. Please, please do. As uh, just continue doing the morning show. As a poet of from... of my parents' generation once said, Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. I hear it's cold. I hear it's very cold there. 
oh. on Mars. Is that is that a song that I'm supposed to know? Oh, come on, Anna I I don't know Ken the Craycraft reference. Ken Craycraft is dying over there. Matt, I don't know the reference. Ken, Ken Craycraft is the Rocket Man. He's the Rocket Man. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. Come on, Anna Mitch. It's a really good Elton John impression, Matt. I've never that's heard the, you do it. Yeah, that's the only thing. I'm much better with Bowie lyrics. I got to admit. There you go. Anyway. Star man. Exactly. Sunrise Morning Show legal and political analyst Ken Craycraft with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, writes for the Catholic Telegraph and our Sunday visitor, among other publications. Ken, welcome back. Thanks, Annie. Good to be with you. It's good to have you. Uh, Issue one in Ohio was defeated in the August 8th special election. So we in Ohio and really all around the country, uh, pro-lifers looking toward November when there is a proposed constitutional amendment on the ballot that would, if passed, enshrine abortion in the Ohio Constitution. So how does the defeat of issue one play into that? Well, it makes it so that that con- proposed constitutional uh, amendment that's scheduled in November, um, the ballot initiative, is easier to pass now than it would have been. It don't, it, to get that initiative uh, put into the Constitution, it only takes 50% of Ohio voters plus one, a simple majority, rather than the 60% that it, might have ta- that it would have taken if issue would ha- uh, one would have passed. It's important to note, obviously, that this does that the vote itself yesterday, the vote on issue one that went down, does not make abortion legal in Ohio or does right. not enshrine abortion in the Constitution. I know there's there was confusion about that among voters, but it does make it easier for the proposed initiative that is on the November ballot to pass, which would indeed make abortion legal in Ohio uh, in any circumstance up to and including to the day of birth and provide uh, for other ish- other things uh, that make um, Roe v. Wade basically the, the law of Ohio. Let me ask you this, because Ohio currently has a heartbeat law on the books. It is currently under injunction and supposed to be considered by the Ohio Supreme Court um, prior to November, I, th- I think. Um, so what does the Ohio Supreme Court do in between now and November when voters are going to consider essentially repealing the heartbeat law that's that's under injunction right now? Well, the court can consider it uh, if, if it wants to, but the court also has the uh, license because the court uh, sets its own docket uh, to wait until November to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sometimes courts will do that um, when there's pending legislation or some other pending case that would have an impact upon its own decision rather than to make that decision and, you know, weeks or months later, basically have it reversed for the purpose of the stability of the law, the court will put that in abeyance. I would say this, Annie, even if the Ohio Supreme Court were to uh, were to approve the uh, the the uh, heartbeat bill that is, is has been passed, but is now being held in abeyance. Uh, certainly, abortion rights uh, forces would appeal to federal courts immediately, and a federal district yeah. court 
and they would pick the court that they ha would have confidence in Ohio that would stay the uh, heartbeat bill anyway. So I don't I don't think we're going to see any legislation enacted in Ohio about abortion until after the November election. Hmm. Well, the defeat of issue one, I mean, pro-lifers, uh, the right to life um, movement, right to life groups in Ohio were were trying to push hard to get issue one passed. Um, specifically to make it harder for the, the right. proposed amendment um, on abortion, uh, to make it harder for that to pass in November. But now that issue one has been defeated, I mean, of course, all of the resources now go into exactly. trying to defeat this upcoming amendment. And it's important to understand that issue one was not just about abortion. So it's conceivable that there are people who will vote no uh, uh, in November uh, against the constitutional amendment to enshrine abortion also voted no yesterday um, because yeah, yeah. yesterday's vote was about more than abortion. So uh, I don't think that we'll see the same number. Now, uh, according to the latest numbers I've seen, uh, issue one failed by a, a fairly substantial margin, about 56 percent to about 43 plus percent. So the, the gap was pretty wide. So, yes, abortion uh, um Abortion rights proponents will now turn their attention to November, and of course, so will uh, anti-abortion uh, activists, so that the public is, we want to make sure the public is educated about the scope and the severity of this law in November. Yeah. But again, I don't think we're going to see the same number. I think the, the vote will be closer, even if, uh, God forbid, the constitutional amendment in November passes, it almost certainly will be closer than yesterday's vote, because again, it's certainly conceivable, and, and I'm sure it's the case, that many voters didn't want to change the the way that the Constitution has changed for the sake of future uh, um, amendments that have nothing to do with abortion, uh, but will still vote down the uh, vote against the abortion amendment in November. I mean, I guess to look at it from a, a positive perspective in, in light of the abortion amendment, if it were to pass in November, it now would be easier to repeal it in the future exactly. if people actually yeah. realize what the abortion proposal really is. Yeah, this, this the proposed amendment, issue one, the proposed amendment making uh, requiring 60 percent of the voters to approve a constitutional amendment was always a two edged sword. I mean, even even as we were even as uh, pro-life people were campaigning for it, uh, we we understood and realized that it could it could go the other way. I mean, it could the the same it could be used in the future to thwart a pro-life initiative. So it was always a two edged sword. And we have to understand that. So, yeah, that is the silver lining. One of the things, Andy, that's important, and I think this is important for the national audience, is to it is to uh, uh, make sure that the public is educated, especially in less populated counties and that because less populated counties, at least in Ohio, are more likely to, to vote against the abortion amendment in November, but they're underrepresented at the polls and they're underrepresented in terms of, uh, of uh, reaching out by, uh, by, by activists, especially pro-life activists, because the pro-abortion activists concentrate on the urban centers in Ohio, that's basically Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, Dayton, Toledo, because they know that that's where they can harvest the richest mine of yes votes for the November election. Right. And they're going to, you know, they're going to ignore those that they can't win. So pro-life activists need to get the rural vote out in Ohio yeah. and the rural counties 
so that so that it offsets the the easy low hanging fruit that the pro abortionists pick in the heavily uh, democratic uh, co- uh, counties and cities in Ohio. Yep. Yep. Well. The work has already begun, but it really gets down in earnest now. We've been talking to our legal and political analyst, Ken Craycraft. Really appreciate you waking up to to analyze this one for us, Ken. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. All right. It's 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some Monk Shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If your cable or satellite provider doesn't carry EWTN's full programming lineup, give them a call and let them know you would like to receive EWTN 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For more information, go to EWTN.com and click on television. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Russia is being accused of carrying out what's been called a particularly evil attack in Ukraine. The president of Vietnam met earlier this week with the country's bishops a little more than a week after meeting with Pope Francis to sign a joint agreement. And the Holy Father this week sent out a letter to the priests of the Diocese of Rome entrusting them to the Salus Populi Romani. All right, Anna Mitchell, we're going to talk more about St. Edith Stein with Father Rob Jack here in a moment. And then yeah. with Dr. Matthew Bunsen, I believe, next hour. Yes. She's an extraordinary saint yes. um, for so many reasons that we're going to get into. But I have a question for you. Oh, okay. It's a little prognostication. All right. So I have no idea who the next formally declared doctor of the church is going to be. Oh, I know. But when I, does she make this list? Yes. Yeah, so I have a I have a list of I you know the the three that I think might be next, and you tell me. Oh if you man. Think a, oh, okay. B, C, or D. None of the above because you got another. Okay. Idea. All right. All right. Go ahead. So, um, I think that actually she's probably in my mind the strongest candidate for the next doctor of the church. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Uh. My B option would be St. John Henry Newman. 
Ooh, who is, yeah. I mean, he was built for, mm-hmm. he's built for that. Mm-hmm. And then a third is one that I'm a little surprised is not a doctor of the church yet, but because of his contributions and spirituality and discernment and a whole bunch of other stuff and sort of the intellectual legacy would be Ignatius of Loyola. Oh, interesting. D would be none well, of the above of and the an above. other. So do you have a D? Um, my, well, I agree with you that I think Edith Stein, that St. Teresa, I think she would prefer to be called St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. I think she would be the likeliest candidate. The one name that I would add to that list as a potential candidate would be John Paul II. Yes, but who did John Paul II lean on for a lot of St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. Absolutely. I'm just saying I add him to the list of. Well, I don't think you can make John Paul the II a doctor of the church until after you've made. Of course, I'm not in charge, Anna Mitchell. I don't know if you know this. I'm You're not? not? I am not. You're not even in charge of the show, St. Teresa Benedicta man. of the Cross. Pray, Pray for, for us. us. And for iced tea, if you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Lord Jesus, who loves us so much, We have not loved you as we easily might have, nor served you enough in our neighbor as we could have. We are truly sorry for this unfaithful love and promise to do better in the future because you accept everything that we do in God's grace when done in a spirit of love and obedience as reparation. We now offer you and your heart our every thought, word, deed, and suffering in union with your own sufferings. Join our reparation to that which you ceaselessly offer to the Father in the Mass and in the silence of the tabernacle. Help us to suffer lovingly and to aid those who suffer. Make your redemptive love fruitful in the hearts of all those who will die today, so that all of us may love you forever in heaven. Amen. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Rob Jack, host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio. Of course, Sacred Heart Radio produces the Sunrise Morning Show as well, and we get to talk about today's saint, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, who was born Edith Stein. Father Rob, good morning. Morning, Matt. So you've worked with some doctors of the church before. I'm not going to ask you uh, if you think that she's going to be a doctor of the church and win, but let's just say She's got some deep, deep thought uh, for us to reflect on as the church, including some great thought about personhood and suffering. 
I wonder what of her teachings you wanted to focus on today. Well, I want to talk about uh, St. Teresa and Benedict of the Cross in this sense. There's a, when we think about our life, there's a lot of trinities or threes that go around. You know, for instance, um, when we talk, when Pope John Paul II talks about uh, the, the trinity of truth and love, and um, oh, I always forget the third one, but truth, well, basically it's truth, suffering, and love. And this is, of course, what St. Uh, Teresa Benedict of the Cross discovers. And see, there's a kinship between her and John Paul II, because one, they were contemporaries, and two, uh, they lived during one of the most heinous periods of Church history. And in the midst of all this, this notion of truth and suffering and love, oftentimes we think, how can those things go together? But they do, because once we discover the truth, the truth itself is God as He really is. And when we see who He really is, that creates in us a desire to know Him and to be like Him. But because we are so unlike Him, even though we're in His image, that because of original sin, we know what we can be versus what we are. And that's the, that's the belief in terms of suffering, to the desire to go beyond ourselves. And the only path to do that is going to be through love. Well, her ref- reflections on love, I think, are extraordinary. Uh, there's a quote of hers that I go back to over and over again, uh, where she says that all that we do is a means to an end, but love is an end in itself because God is love. Uh, and, you know, you think about that question of, it helps me make much more sense of what St. Paul is saying when he says, in the end, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And and Paul is, in some ways, alluding to the fact that at the end of all things, we won't need faith. We'll be with God, right? And we won't need hope because the hope will have been fulfilled. Love, though, is the thing that we enter into. Love is, if if we're saying that God is love, then God is love before he even creates. I mean, what a mystery. Well, it is, and we have to recognize that our human definition of love pales before the love of God. And this is what, of course, uh, Teresa Benedict of the Cross discovered. When she read the life of Teresa of Avila and then says, this is truth, she found out that she kind of was given the key to the great mystery. In order to come close to God, we have to be taken up into the divine love, which is, of course, what St. John of the Cross taught. And we connect Teresa a lot of times with uh, Teresa of Avila, but she's also very intimately connected with St. John of the Cross. And the year that she died, she was asked to write uh, basically an essay on the 400th year of the death of St. John of the Cross, and it was called The Science of the Cross. And this is, and the challenge we face that she talks about is that we have the cross before us. We either we either we accept it and detach ourselves from ourselves so that we can be more united with Christ, which then allows us to be lifted up in love, or we hang on to ourselves and then the process never find true happiness. So it's a type of emptying. And whereas John of the Cross is emptying happened by his persecution by his fellow Carmelites. Uh, Teresa Benedictus of the Cross's suffering happened, as she said, when she went with her sister Rosa when the Nazis came and took her from the convent. Let us go and die with our people. That she, you know, in that whole emptying, she recognized that the fullness of her love will be seen in taking on basically her vocation as as a Jew and as a Christian, and she gave her life uh, for the fellow Jews who she died with. She's such an extraordinary 
uh, figure in well in in modern church history, but in the history of the church as a whole, um, she stands out just so strongly. You know, it's interesting. You know, we're coming off the feast of Saint Dominic, and the Dominicans, you know, they get the reputation for being kind of like the thinkers, right? They're the ones who have the deep thoughts. But you know, between uh, Therese of Lisieux and John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila and Teresa Benedict of the Cross, I mean, the Carmelites have a strong case going here. Well, they do, and and they they like uh, Thomas uh, and 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 Dominic in his own way. They recognize reason can only take us so far. Reason that is done very well will lead us beyond reason to mystery, and mystery is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in finding it, it brings one, interior joy, two, it brings the fullness of truth, but three, as we know, it brings upon itself immense suffering. And uh, because in tying ourselves to the cross, literally, or being nailed, however you want to put that, we tie ourselves to that love of Christ, that emptying love. And in a world that constantly says we have to be filled up with things to find love, we find ourselves, and to do that, the emptier we become. But when we unite ourselves in this self-emptying love of Christ, of pouring it out, all of a sudden we become full. And this is one of the paradoxes that, unfortunately, it's very hard for people to come to grips with in the world today. Well, and it's one that um, people can dismiss as trite. Well, what's the answer to suffering? Uh, Well, look at the crucifix. That can sound like it's a trite and throwaway answer, but in fact, it is is an extraordinary, mysterious, deep, all-encompassing answer that tells us who God is in his very nature as God. self-giving love so well and that's because of course it's not the cross itself we focus on it's the person nailed to the cross that shows us his meaning that's why the crucifix is so important in our catholic faith well very good stuff thank you so much father rob jack for helping us to get into uh, some of the thought of edith stein this morning have a wonderful day all right truth suffering and love live it today write it down on your notepad thanks father rob jack Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Ohio voters have rejected a measure that could have made it harder to get abortion rights enshrined in the state constitution in November. Issue one was the only measure on the ballot in yesterday's special election and was not specifically about abortion, but it would have required at least 60 percent of voters to pass any future amendments to the state constitution rather than a simple majority. The U.S. saw a record number of billion-dollar weather disasters in the first seven months of the year. Mark Mayfield reports. A new report from the National Centers for Environmental Information says 15 disasters were confirmed between January and July. That's the highest number since 1980. It includes 13 severe storms, one winter storm, and one flooding. The cost totals nearly $40 billion and 113 fatalities. I'm Mark Mayfield. Russia is being accused of carrying out what's been called a particularly evil attack in Ukraine. Officials say Russia overnight fired a missile at an apartment building full of civilians in eastern Ukraine and then fired another missile at first responders. At least seven people were killed, including rescue workers. The attack came just as reports were surfacing that Russia was plotting to assassinate Ukrainian President Zelensky. The president of Vietnam has met with his country's Catholic bishops. Vatican News reports this week's meeting 
comes in the wake of his meeting with Pope Francis to sign a landmark agreement on the status and the office of the resident papal representative in Vietnam. It's been called a new beginning in relations between the church and the country under a sign of mutual respect and trust. President Biden is taking action to protect nearly a million acres around the Grand Canyon. During a visit to Arizona yesterday, Biden designated the area a national monument. The move protects lands sacred to Native Americans in the region and permanently bans new uranium mining. Biden called the area a, quote, birthright passed down from generation to generation. The designation is part of the president's plan to conserve 30 percent of U.S. land and waters by 2030. The Holy See yesterday released the Pope's theme for the next World Day of Peace on January 1st, which will focus on AI and peace. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi has more. In the next World Day of Peace message, Pope Francis will call for an open dialogue on the meaning of the new technologies endowed with disruptive possibilities and ambivalent effects. The recurrence is celebrated every January 1st, the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. It was established in 1967, instituting a long tradition of messages from the Holy Father, exhorting all people to reflect on important subjects in relation to the work of building peace. In his next message, Pope Francis is going to stress the importance to be vigilant while working on the implementation of new technologies such as the artificial intelligence so that the logic of violence and discrimination does not take root in the production and use of such devices at the expense of the most fragile and excluded, as injustice and inequalities fuel conflicts and antagonisms. The message will also on the impelling need to orient the concept and use of artificial intelligence in a responsible way, aiming at having it at the service of humanity and the protection of our common home. This will not be possible without extending that ethical reflection to the fields of education and law. The statement concluded by affirming how the protection of the dignity of the person and concern for a fraternity effectively open to the entire human family represent indispensable conditions for technological development to help contribute to the promotion of justice and peace in the world. I am Eduardo Giribaldi. More Americans are dipping into their 401k accounts because of financial distress. That, according to Bank of America data, the number of those who did so during the second quarter spiked from the same time last year by 36 percent. Most cite inflation as the main reason. Bank of America's data also shows overall employee contributions remained consistent over the first half of the year. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Anna Mitchell. It's 35 past the hour. The Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Do not get upset about the dryness and coldness you are suffering. Be consoled in the depths of your heart, remembering the words of our Lord. How blessed are the poor in spirit! Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for holiness! How happy you should be to serve God in the desert! without manna and without water, consoled only by the fact that he is guiding you and you are suffering for him. If unjustly accused, bear witness to the truth quietly and calmly. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Zimak. He's the author of When Your Days Are Dark, God Is Still Good. And we've been going through stories of various people in the Bible and what their experiences can tell us about how to navigate our own difficulties a little bit more evenly. Gary, good morning. Hey, Matt. Good morning. So today we get to talk about Elijah and the widow. And if you could set up the story for us. You know, Matt, I love this story. It's it's really one that uh, is incredibly personal to me. And we're going to talk about Elijah and how the Lord provided for him. But I just want to say this chapter, I specifically titled it, When You're Struggling Financially, because so many people are in a situation where they don't know where their next meal is coming from. They're struggling financially. They're really called upon to trust in God's providence. God provides for us in so many ways. It doesn't always have to be financially, but this one I really think highlights how he can provide for our material needs. So the story begins in the in the first book of Kings, chapter 17. The prophet Elijah just shows up. He just shows up on the scene, and we're told that he calls for a drought. He lets the king know that a drought is coming, which is a big deal and which is not going to go over too well with the king, because the king believed in his false god's control over the weather. So Elijah predicting, uh, seeming to predict control over the weather, that's going to really make him a marked man. So Elijah is instructed by the Lord to hide by a stream, and at that stream his needs are going to be provided for. He's going to be given drinking water from the stream, and he's going to be fed in a really unusual way by the ravens. The ravens are going to bring Elijah his food in the morning and the evening, which is highly unusual because the ravens are scavengers. They don't like to share their food. But this is how it happened. But, Matt, one day the, the stream dried up, and Elijah was told by the Lord to go to a city called Zarephath. And he went, and, and the Lord also told him prior to going that he would encounter a widow there who would provide for the prophet's needs. Another highly unusual thing. 
So Elijah goes to Zarephath. He encounters this widow. He asks her for something to eat, and the widow said, look, I just have a little bit left. My son and I, we're about to die because we're starving. But Elijah said, well, that's okay. Give it to me anyway. She does, recognizing that he is a prophet, and, and they are both able to be sustained for a period of time. You know, Matt, this is an incredible story of trust in God's providence, not just for Elijah, but for the widow, because she gave up her last bit of food to this man of God, trusting that God would provide for her, and he did. And it's so unusual to see God providing for Elijah and the widow, both with, you know, by the provision of each other, by each other taking care of their needs. Neither one of them had anything. So it's an incredible opportunity for us to see how God can provide for our needs in very unusual ways. I just love this story. It's a great story on so many levels. And, you know, it shows God's providence. It shows the widow's trust. It actually shows Elijah's trust <laughs> as, as well, yeah. right? Because Elijah was like, what do you mean, Lord? I'm going to... I'm going to feel like a total jerk asking this lady for help, right? right. Because like she's right. down to her, you know, last little bit of grain. But um as my friend Ken Hensley uh likes to say over at the Coming Home Network, if you want to know what God is doing in the Eucharist, look at the pattern of miraculous meals in the Bible. Uh and this is one of the great examples of a miraculous meal. It actually points ahead to a few different things, among them the fact that Jesus himself is going to multiply bread right, for a hungry crowd. Uh, but it, it just, the, the phrase that comes to mind from the Mass is when we say, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, through your mercy we have the bread we offer, fruit of the earth, work of human hands, it will become our spiritual food. We offer, like, basically one of the weakest things that we could come up with at Mass, <laughs> right? Right, um, right. Literally, it's like wheat with nothing in it. And we give it to God, and he gives it back to us as himself. Um, and that's the Eucharist. That's the center of our faith. I think that's really meant to be like a model for what we're supposed to do with every other aspect of our lives, right? That we're supposed to take whatever little thing that we have to give it to God so he can give himself back to us. And that's hard for us to kind of wrap our minds around, but that's, this is a model of that, this story. It really is, and I, and I think, and, and the reason this story is so personal to me is because, you know, after 30 years in the software industry, when I launched into full-time ministry, when I got laid off from my day job, I really had to depend on the Lord to provide for my family. It, you know, it was, I never had to do that before, and I'll, I'll be honest, I think it's easier for us to believe that the Lord can provide for our spiritual needs than it is to believe that he can provide for our, our material needs. Now, the spiritual needs are more important. Obviously, you talk about the Eucharist. That sustains us more than, than the, the money we have or the food we have. Actually, that's what we really need. That's the most important sustenance the Lord can give us is his, his grace through the Eucharist. But for some reason, I think many of us can believe that he could give you the grace to get through the day or be a good person or get to heaven in an easier manner than we can believe that, well, he can help me to eat today or pay my bills at the end of the month. And this is a reminder that he wants to do both. He doesn't just want to provide for what we need to get to heaven in a spiritual way. He, he wants to give us what we need in a material way. But as you said, 
he and, and this and I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel by any means. As you said, though, what the Lord because it'll provide for our our needs, not necessarily our wants. But the point you made is a good one. He expects us to do what we can to give him what little we can. When the Lord fed the five thousand men plus women and children. He asked for the five loaves and two fish that they managed to get together. So he does ask for what little we have. Those those not enough ingredients ended up being the ingredients that Jesus would use for a miracle. So he calls us to do our best and then let him miraculously multiply what we have. You know, sometimes I wonder if I've not slowed my own progress over the years by holding on too tightly to things and thinking, well, I'll be more generous, I'll be more magnanimous, I'll be more open to things and willing to participate once I get financially stable. Mm. <laughs> you know, I wonder wow. sometimes if I've slowed my own progress in this area by having that attitude. And, of course, I mean, you and I both have churchy jobs. It's not like... Uh, it's not like we're rolling in it, man. I mean, it, no. it is, you know, when you work for the church, I mean, it's funny when you look at, you know, the, the, the people who uh, give their lives as diocesan priests, if you were to look at their salary and compare it to, like, you know, an average government worker around where I live, man, it would be, it's a pittance, right? It's a pittance. Uh, but yeah. you st- that's not like an excuse. I mean, your your income level doesn't get you off the hook from giving in some way. I mean, maybe you cannot give like a single penny, but there's something. There is something yeah. that you can give. I got, you know, your parent, right? Your kids yeah. who don't have an income, maybe, you know, depending on what your allowance situation is, just because they don't have a steady W-2 reporting income doesn't mean that they can't give until they do. You can give at every level, no matter who you are. Exactly. And, you know, I look at the story of the widow who trusted in the Lord to provide for her and her son and gave Elijah what, what she had. Look at the opportunity this provides to see God's faithfulness. You know, unless you're in that position, she got to see how God miraculously took care of her. And, and it was all it all it was all based upon her generosity. If you're in that situation where you don't have much and feel the Lord calling you to give something, whatever, you you can get to see firsthand how your trust is rewarded with His providence. I mean, it's but until you're in that situation, you don't necessarily have the opportunity to see it. Man, I I'll tell you, I would have never asked for <laughs> this situation back in the day. I wouldn't have asked for it to be put in this place where I am literally praying, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. I, I would have never asked for it, but the Lord changed my heart, put me in the situation, and I'm so glad He did because I got to see just how faithful He is and uh, what you know how fa- how how He will provide for the needs of His children. Well, I pray that over everybody listening today, especially those of you who are in those struggles. And Anna Mitchell reports it on almost every newscast, and I think so many of us feel it at some level or another. Um, And I just want to make sure that in my own life, I never forget that everything I have is a gift uh, from God, and it's not mine in the first place. So... Gary Zimak, we've got followingthetruth.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, and uh, hopefully people pick up your book. When your days are dark, God is still good. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Matt. God bless. All right, 13 till. we got headlines coming up next. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show. 
where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Why do we need to pray? We don't pray because God needs our prayers. We pray because we need God's grace. And every day... When I face the day, I realize I have no idea what I'm doing, (laughs) and I need God to walk me through my day, step by step, giving me the grace, the counsel, the love, the encouragement that enables me to glorify Him in everything that I do and become the person He wants me to be. Prayer is my lifeline. When was the time you wish you had taken action? Share your story today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and every time Joe Heschmeyer comes out with a new book, we got to talk about it. And his latest is called The Eucharist is Really Jesus, How Christ's Body and Blood Are the Key to Everything We Believe. Joe, good morning. Good morning. So there are a lot of books about the Eucharist, but uh, this one I think is set up really neat uh, to to tie the Eucharist to all sorts of things that we might not necessarily automatically connect the Eucharist with in our mind. So um, if you could give an overview of your approach. Yeah, I mean, you've already kind of alluded to it. Um, I, I take two examples in the beginning. One of them is the road to Emmaus. If you remember on Easter Sunday, There's two people walking to Emmaus and Jesus walks with them and they don't know it's him. And on the way, he's explaining to them the Old Testament scriptures and how they foretold the Messiah would suffer and die. But they don't realize it's Jesus. And they finally come to realize it's Jesus when they get to Emmaus and they're at table and they invite him to accompany them for the meal. And we're told he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And then they, their eyes are open, they realize it's Jesus, and then he disappears from their sight. And there's something very Eucharistic about this. You've got the same four verbs, you know, take, bless, break, and give, that you have at the institution of the Last Supper. And it's even more obvious when they, they run back to Jerusalem, and as Luke says, uh, recount how he was known to them in the, make, in the breaking of the bread. Well, we know the breaking of the bread is how Luke describes the early Christian Eucharist in Acts 2. So, there's, we, we should be reading this with the Eucharistic kind of lens, 
But one of the things that the two disciples say to each other is, we're not our hearts burning within us, as he explained the scriptures to us. In other words, once they get the Eucharist right, once they see Jesus there, then they start to see him on all these other places. They would have missed him otherwise. So that's the first kind of image that I use, that getting the Eucharist right isn't just important for having a good Eucharistic theology. Getting the Eucharist right is really important for having a good covenantal theology. It's really important for having a good theology of the cross. And, and fill in the blank, like you could go all the way down the list, that getting this right is actually really kind of the linchpin of everything else. And then the second biblical example I use is from the book of Revelation, where you've got a, a scroll with seven seals. And we're told that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to unlock the scroll. And then finally, the one who's able to do it, we're told is going to be the Lion of Judah. But in the next verse, we don't see a lion. We see a lamb standing as though slain. And so there's a double paradox there. First, that it's a lion who's also a lamb. And second, that Jesus, the, the Lion of Judah, who is the Passover lamb, is slain but still standing. And this is, again, a very Eucharistic image. In 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul describes Jesus as our Passover lamb. That and, and the Last Supper, of course, is the Christian Passover. And so the point there is that there's certain aspects of the faith that'll just be sealed up and you're not going to properly understand them uh, unless you view them through the eyes of the Eucharistic Lord. Well, not just certain aspects of the Catholic faith, but certain aspects of Christianity in general. Um, I occasionally have the opportunity to attend non-Catholic services, and I recently attended one. Uh, I'm not going to say where, I'm not going to say what kind, but where there was this idea uh, kind of put forth of, you know, finding this church's, this congregation's identity in their couple hundred year history and uh, going back to the book of Acts and reading, you know, what inspired the early church and what animated the early church and, and what, you know, what they did to serve others and and to preach the gospel and, and all these sorts of things. And, you know, if we really want to be who we're supposed to be, we should look back and read their example. Okay, now that's good, right? But there was this like ginormous gap in the discourse. It was, and the gap that I felt deeply as a Catholic who who comes from this Protestant world was, what do you mean we should read and learn their example? We are guarding the same thing that fueled them in the Holy Eucharist, right? They were yeah. fueled by the Eucharist. They guarded and sustained uh, the the practice of making the Eucharist the focus of their worship down to the present day. And that blood that ran through their veins, that supernatural grace is the supernatural grace that sustains the church today. We're not merely like reading an account of something that can inspire us to do better. We're, we're we are the heirs of grace that fueled that. Uh, and the Eucharist is the piece that puts it together. Why does apostolic succession matter? Because the hands that touch the hands that touch the hands all the way down to our present, there's an unbroken line. And what is the central job of the people whose hands are touched? What are those hands touched for? It's for the preparation of the Eucharist to present to the church. I mean, this massive gap in your understanding if you don't have that at the center of it. Yeah, I think that's very well said. The idea, you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus doesn't say, do this to everyone. He says it to the apostles. And then the apostles commission other people who can do this. And the do this is that Eucharistic thing. And so you're right, like apostolic succession makes sense precisely if 
you have a sacrifice that needs priests and not everyone is called to be this kind of priest. So then you have ordination, then you have St. Paul saying, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And you have a really clear sense that some people are ordained to continue to do this Eucharistic thing. So the Eucharist and the priesthood are, are intimately tied together. The Eucharist and apostolic succession are intimately tied together. And, and you're right. Otherwise, we end up in this very strange place. So go back to Matthew 13. Jesus compares the growth of the church from that of a mustard seed to a mustard tree, the, the largest of all garden plants. And that's the, the promise for the church, that we're going to go from the tiniest kind of organization on earth to the largest. And so it's very strange where now that we're the largest, you have people saying, okay, we have to figure out how we can be the mustard seed. And it's like, no, no, you're not meant to be the mustard seed anymore. You're, you're meant to be the mustard tree. You know, obviously learn from the Christians who came before, but don't try to pretend you're in the first century and you just have a tiny little church because that's not the promise Jesus gave us. Well, thank you so much, Joe Heschmeyer. You can find his book and all the Catholic Answers has to offer at catholic.com again catholic.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com and speaking of which you can uh, find information to all the guests that we're going to talk to actually even in the next hour as well we've got a lot coming up including much more on St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross whose feast is today hope some of you can stay with us as the Sunrise Morning Show continues after the break it's 3 till Radio.com. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The Sunrise Morning Show. Hey, a way to start your day. We continue on this Wednesday, the 9th of August, the Feast of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, save your people. We pray for all who are persecuted. Send courageous witnesses to speak and intercede on their behalf. We pray for all who are blinded by prejudice. Send men and women of truth to open their eyes to see as you see. We pray for all who are deaf to your word. Send people, send people of eloquent tongue and deep prayer to speak to their hearts. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you sent your Son among us to redeem the people of the promise and the people who knew not your promises. Through the witness and prayer of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, bring all men and women to the joy of your kingdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, pray for us. It is a better way to start a Wednesday morning. Some of you have been with us for a little while already, but it is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We'll check in with Father Philip Michael Tangora, and he's got an interesting case from England involving uh, a lawsuit over wrongful birth. What does that even mean, and how did it happen, and uh, what are the implications? as it were. Carlo Broussard is going to talk more about combating moral relativism and uh, the philosophies underpinning that. Will Peterson will join us from the Eucharistic uh, Revival to discuss some pilgrimage stuff related to it. And then we'll get more into today's saint, St. Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. He normally talks about doctors of the church, and I still think that, you know, one of these days, Teresa Benedicta of the Cross might be one. So, stay with us if you can. 
Right now it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Ohio voters rejected yesterday a measure that could have made it harder to have abortion rights enshrined in the state constitution come November. Issue one was the only measure on the ballot in yesterday's special election. It was not about abortion specifically, but if it had passed, would have required at least 60 percent of voters to pass any future amendments to the state constitution. But now just a simple majority will be needed in November and for any future amendments proposed to the Ohio Constitution. Russia is being accused of carrying out what's been called a particularly evil attack in Ukraine. Mark Mayfield reports. Officials say that Russia overnight fired a missile at an apartment building full of civilians in eastern Ukraine, then fired another missile at first responders. At least seven people were killed, including rescue workers. The attack came just as reports surfaced that Russia was plotting to assassinate Ukraine President Zelensky. I'm Mark Mayfield. The judge overseeing former President Trump's 2020 alleged election interference case has scheduled a hearing for this Friday. The hearing will likely determine what rules should be imposed for the handling of evidence in the case. The Justice Department recently filed for a protective order asking the judge to place some limits on Trump's speech about the evidence. Trump's lawyers are saying the order would violate the First Amendment. Pope Francis has resumed his Wednesday general audiences today. They had been suspended through the month of July, as per usual. The Holy Father used his catechesis time today to reflect on his experience in the past week in Portugal for World Youth Day, which he called a gift of God felt by all. The president of Vietnam met earlier this week with his country's bishops a little more than a week after meeting with Pope Francis to sign a joint agreement. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. The meeting lasted more than an hour and was attended by 10 government officials and nine Vietnamese bishops, including the president, Archbishop Joseph Nguyen Nang, along with five priests and two religious. The bishops who honored the Vietnamese president with two gifts described the talks as open and sincere. During the meeting, President Van Turong acknowledged the contribution offered by the Catholic Church to Vietnamese society, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. He then spoke of his recent visit to Europe and to the Vatican. He said he was impressed by the meeting with Pope Francis on the 27th of July, specifically by the Holy Father's words on human fraternity. The Vietnamese president also expressed his appreciation for what Pope Francis said about the need to listen to others so as to understand them better. Father Dao Nguyen Vu, head of the Secretariat of the Vietnamese Bishops' Conference, then presented the activities of the Church in the country by offering some data and explaining that the Church only runs nursery schools, but no elementary, middle or high school. President Van Turong said he will consider the matter. Archbishop Nguyen Nang also spoke of the work of the Catholic Church at the service of the country. Relations between the Holy See and Vietnam were interrupted in 1975, but have seen encouraging developments since 1990, and especially after the establishment over 10 years ago of a Vietnamese Holy See joint working group, which has led to the July agreement to have a resident papal representative in Hanoi. I am Lisa Zengarini. 
Mancini. More Americans are dipping into their 401k accounts because of financial distress. That according to Bank of America data. The number of those who did so during the second quarter spiked from the same time last year by 36 percent. Most cite inflation as the main reason. And Virgin Galactic is set to launch its second commercial space flight on Thursday. The flight is scheduled to blast off from the company's Spaceport America in New Mexico with three passengers. One is an 80-year-old former Olympic canoeist, and two others will be the first mother-daughter duo to make the voyage after winning their seats in a Virgin Galactic competition aimed at sending, quote, more diverse humans to space. I mean... You got any thoughts, Matt? If your ship gets problems with its engine, I suppose it's good to have someone who can row. (laughs) Is that where you wanted to... (laughs) I didn't expect that. I win today's round. As many of you know, Annie's goal is to get me to say something my goal is to make her laugh if she laughs i win oh, if she doesn't laugh she wins oh yeah you definitely won that one i was <laughs> good Matt. i like that there you go that's all i got that's all i got the sunrise morning show continues i'm matt swaim joined now by father philip michael tangora he's a pastor a canon lawyer joins us from new jersey every week to try and unpack complex issues and help us understand them from a Catholic perspective and why the church talks about things in certain ways. Father, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, I'm going to need help with this one. This is a very confusing case uh, of a wrongful conception lawsuit that was actually won by a woman in the UK. In uh, the best layman's terms you can, try, try and explain this one. Okay, so what happened was a woman uh, in the UK named Evie Toombs sued her parents' doctor, Dr. Philip Mitchell, because she claims that he did not properly advise her parents about conceiving when they did. Uh, And at the time, they're saying that uh, there was a condition that led to her being then conceived with spina bifida. And if she believes that the doctor had the responsibility of advising her parents that they should not conceive. And by virtue of the fact that uh, he did not advise them against conception, uh, she won a wrongful conception lawsuit uh, in British High Court in London. Uh, and that uh, led to her receiving millions of dollars uh, due to her, you know, pain and suffering, if you will, with being a person with spina bifida, which then led to a, uh, recently a TikToker here in the United States claiming that she has sued her parents for having um, given birth to her without her consent in the womb. So this TikToker known as Cass Thies uh, has then claimed that uh, what is required for an ethical birth is that one contacts a psychic or a median or something like that to get consent from the child in the womb 
in order to then uh, let that child consent to being born. Okay, so now that's uh, there. There are multiple issues. Here. Oh, there's well, so many. One is that uh, it's really hard in a uh, society that functions on the written contract to be able to get you know a written a written document from a uh, preborn spirit. This is, this is a little bit difficult to, to obtain, but I have I yeah. have lots of other kinds of questions. So it was difficult for me to uh, to determine from the article and the as as it was the facts yeah. of the case is stated by the various articles that I read this morning. Actually, is she suing because her mom didn't get the right, right prenatal care, or is she suing because she was born at all? Because those are seem to be two kinds of different questions, and one of them, if they are uh, now if managed they are properly, both right it's could. Both. Uh, could lead us to help maybe figure out a way to get more legal protection for malpractice as it applies to fetuses so that they get the same kinds of protections that a born person might. But I, I may be reading this completely backwards. No, no, you're reading it correctly. The, the situation is that uh, all of this actually comes down to parental rights and the rights of the uh, pre-born child in the womb. And what's interesting about this is the, the, the one very woke person in the United States, this TikToker, Castees, she's prescribing rights to an infant in the womb because if you have to get the consent of the child before being born, to be born, then you're saying that there's rights to the child in the womb, which, you know what, I hope that, that, I hope that the woke culture just destroyed abortion. We'll in see. the United States, I, I would, would be, love that. I would be, but I would then, be shocked if the that's the hand, implication. Yeah, yeah, but I know. The other but hand still, it might be the opposite. But on the other side, we we talk about you know this the, the 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 role of the doctor and the parents, and you know how much does the doctor have to say? I mean, because honestly, and this comes to a very serious uh, question, is you know we we've always said that yes, a doctor has their duty of informing uh, parents of potential gen, uh, uh, defects in, uh, in the womb and stuff like that. However, we have to be very careful with that being like a caveat to, oh, so you should abort. Yeah. Well, this is something that, you know, uh, there's actually a scientist on the path to sainthood who uh, dealt with the implications of this, uh, you know, Jerome Lejeune discovered the cause of Down syndrome, hoping that it would help us figure out better ways to, you know, help people who have it. And instead, the culture turned and said, "Okay, now we know in advance and can abort these children before they see the light of day. So, I mean, this is with all these things, you can't just you can't just look at the technology and and deem it neutral. You have to bring a a theology, a philosophy, an ethic, an understanding, an anthropology a valuing of the human person because anybody can use this information in any number of ways, depending on how they're formed. Absolutely. And we have to look at the, so it's, it, there's the issue of the parental rights, you know, because here's the thing, the parents wanted to have this child, even if they knew that she had spina bifida or there was the possibility of conceiving a child with spina bifida, then that's, that's still their right to give birth to that child. And that child then retroactively saying, well, I wish I was never born uh, or you didn't get my consent to be born or to conceive me with spina bifida. 
you know, or the possibility of developing spina bifida because of uh, different nutritional issues that might have been present uh, with the mother at that point in time in her life. Again, these kinds of things, uh, you know, it, it really makes uh, you have to wonder, you know, uh, where is the consent? If the parents are the ones who are consenting to conceive, if the doctor is the one who's saying, you know, this is not something that is going to be, you know, life threatening to this child. So they might have spina bifida. You can live with spina bifida. There's perfect. That's not in any way an issue. You know, there's there's issues here that are needing to be protected. And I think that both the medical practice, the parental rights and this whole uh, issue of consent from the uh, child in the womb, all three of these need to be uh, heavily analyzed at a legal level because uh, ultimately it has long lasting uh, societal effects and legal scholars better start to really dig deep because when they start prescribing the fact that the consent of the child, even after the fact of having been born, well, I feel that, you know, I shouldn't have been born. That's a very, very slippery legal slope. Well, and, you know, I, I'll only ask the philosophical question behind it rhetorically, because I don't expect you to have to answer it. But if the mm -hmm. person argues that their parents should have waited a couple of months to conceive them, well, technically, the gametes of the contributing parents would have cycled through completely, and it would be a genetically different human being than her. True. True. It might even be a, a male. I don't see this is these are yeah. questions that we cannot get into in this particular forum, but I'm curious yeah. about it. 16 minutes past the hour. Father Tangora, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. God bless, everybody. We're back right after this. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. If you're currently an EWTN media missionary or just interested in becoming one, we've got some great news. EWTN Media Missionaries has a new and improved website. EWTNMissionaries.com, designed with you in mind. 
Our new site is loaded with great features and it's easy to navigate. There are so many different ways that you can help EWTN. Join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. Visit EWTNmissionaries.com today. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Ohio voters have rejected a measure that would have made it harder to get abortion rights enshrined in the state constitution in November. Russia is being accused of carrying out what's being called a particularly evil attack in Ukraine. And the president of Vietnam met earlier this week with his country's bishops. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And uh, happy feast day to all the Teresas listening this morning. There are many. To my Rosemary Teresa, who I at least had this particular Teresa in mind in naming her Rosemary Teresa. Is do, should I do the uh, the thing that we do about four times a year where I ask you to rank your Teresas? Oh, gosh. The it's impossible so task unfair. of ranking your Teresas? It's so unfair. You know, there is a book that I would highly recommend. I don't remember how long ago she wrote it now called The Four Teresas, Gina Lair. Yes. And... Meaning it, Teresa of Calcutta, yep, right? Yep. Teresa... Of Avila, Therese yeah. of Lisieux, and Teresa, Teresa Benedict, Benedict of, of the Cross. cross. Yeah, and it's four pretty strong at, Teresas. And she looked at the greatest commandment: "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." And looked at each of those four Teresas in light of that. And so, Teresa Benedict of the Cross, can you guess which one she covered? Um, that would be well w- with would your she mind, be love. Or mind. Okay, mind. wait. No, so this all is tricky them, because all of them all can of apply them in their own love. way. Well, yeah, of course. But I mean, the love of the neighbor yourself is pretty, pretty straightforwardly Teresa of Calcutta. Absolutely. But mind, I mean, you can get, I mean, Teresa of Lisieux, Teresa of Avila, both mm-hmm. doctors of the church. Well, yeah, Teresa is heart. But she's story of a soul. So uh, wait, she's heart? She's heart. Not soul. Teresa of Avila is soul. I think and that Teresa, Teresa of Avila, Benedict of the Cross is mind. I think Avila and Lisieux should both be heart and soul. They all fit. I mean, really. Do, you do, had to do, pick do, one do, or the do, other. Do, do, do. That's all I got. <laughs> all you holy Teresas. Pray for us. Pray for us. It is 21 minutes past the hour. Iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. An act of hope. So powerful and so merciful, O God, you draw me to yourself. Trusting in your goodness, I hope to rise above this earthly life and be with you forever in the next. 
By faith, I am certain that you are faithful to all your promises. You are loyal to your covenant. Even now you grasp my hand and offer peace to my heart, promising that with your help, I will one day see you face to face, not founded on what I deserve, nor on what my poor powers can accomplish, but on your unfailing grace. My hope is in you, the Lord of hosts, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Savior of the world. Not cast aside because of my faults, I am lifted up by your mercy, which has guided and preserved me, until at last I come to my true home, the haven where the saints dwell everlastingly, entirely, joyfully, and definitively, the heaven of the Blessed Trinity. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Wednesday morning. Carlo Broussard is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's an apologist with Catholic Answers. Listen to his Sunday Catholic Word podcast at mrsundaypodcast.com. He'd love to speak at your parish as well. Go to catholicanswersspeakers.com to invite him. And we're going through his book, The New Relativism, Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's Woke Moralists. Carlo, welcome back. Anna, thanks for having me back. You bet. It's good to have you. So today we're going to be unpacking the second chapter of your book, um, looking at a version of relativism that you have dubbed, Thou Shalt Not Impose. How is this manifested? Well, it's manifested in a few ways. So I give uh, a few examples in the culture, one of which comes from comedian Melissa McCarthy. In a video for Glamour, she was asked, what does true equality mean to you? So here's her answer. When we're no longer asking what true equality is, (laughs) when we don't think about it, she said, uh, we don't think about color or sex or gender or who's doing what. I think it's when everybody just worries about themselves, right? It's sort of a minds-off approach. Let's just stop thinking about how everybody's living their lives. Keep to yourself. The implication is don't impose, right? And so the question is, well, what, what, what do people mean by thou shalt not impose? Well, Collins Online Dictionary says impose is when you try to make other people accept your belief. And that seems to be what McCarthy is getting at. We just need to worry about ourselves and stop worrying about everybody else. Mm. And so the imposition that the modern culture says we should not do is persuasion. We shouldn't try to persuade other people to believe and adopt what we believe. Now, you asked how is the relativism manifested that? Well, McCarthy doesn't give us a reason as to why we should keep our minds off and stop thinking about all of these things. So either A, there's no truth for anyone to know or objective good for anyone to pursue, hence we don't need to think about these things, and that would be total relativism. Or B, there might be objective truth to be known and good to be pursued, but we shouldn't worry ourselves about them anyway, just live as if truth doesn't exist. That would be a practical relativism. Or C, maybe there's objective truth and goods to pursue, but we just can never know them. That would be skepticism, which is a sister of relativism. 
And so McCarthy's not quite clear as to why we should not think about these things and try to persuade people about our beliefs. But for whatever reason it is, it's going to in some way, shape, or form be tethered to the philosophical worldview of relativism. So that's one way. I was going to say, you've got other examples in here that that are a lot more um, pointed, shall we say, at uh, keeping beliefs private and not imposing. Why don't you tell us about them? Yeah, so uh, there are some who will give specific reasons why we should keep our beliefs private and not, quote-unquote, impose or persuade others. Namely, for if we do, it's going to bring about nothing but conflict and violence, right? So popular atheist Sam Harris was asked, if you could get rid of uh, either religion or rape, what would you get rid of? And he says, religion, because it's caused so many deaths. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Alan Clifton, co-founder of Forward Progressives and author of the popular right-off-the-cliff column, says we need to keep our beliefs private. Can you imagine how more peaceful the world would be, right? (laughs) Donovan Jensen, a blogger, says that whenever we try to uh, persuade other people to believe what we believe and not keep our beliefs private, we damage relationships. Now, these guys are manifesting relativism. At least Harris is manifesting a religious relativism, so that's a little bit more localized or partial. But Donovan Jensen actually is interesting because whenever, as I quote him in the book, he only considers two possible outcomes for trying to, two possible motivations for trying to persuade people, like to be the satisfaction of being right and the awkward feeling of pressuring other people to adopt your view. But he does not consider that perhaps the pursuit of truth, arriving at truth, and arriving at what is good and conforming your life there, too, is a possible motivation for trying to persuade people, right? So in Jensen's worldview, Anna, there is truth, absolute truth and absolute goodness is not even on the table as a possible explanation as to why we might try to persuade other people. And the only explanation of that is that apparently he doesn't think there is any truth to come to know or any good to pursue, hence the the labeling of the bad motivations as to why we might try to go and persuade people to believe what we believe. So there's, a, there's relativism lurking behind these commands, keep your beliefs private, stop trying to think about what everybody's doing, keep everything to yourself, thou shalt not impose. Okay, Carla, we don't have enough time to go through all yeah. of what you've done in the book to refute this, and maybe we can save that for our next conversation. Yep. Can absolutely. Can you just in like 30 seconds, this makes no sense. Like, would we be able to think anything? If I, <laughs> I'm just like, I can't think of any way that this is even humanly possible. Well, one, one off the hip, here you go. You ready? Yeah. Well, McCarthy's actually thinking about not thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess she's violating her own principles. Do not think about these things. I but guess. But yet she's thinking about these things. Wow. I mean. That's the logical incoherency of the modern mind. It's insanity. It is. It really is. Well, we'll get uh, more technical in our next conversation, uh, refuting these arguments in a more philosophical way. In the meantime, we've got the new relativism linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Carlo, thank you. Anna, thank you. I look forward to the next time. All right. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. 
Ohio voters have rejected a measure that would have made it harder to get abortion rights enshrined in the Ohio Constitution come November. Issue one was not about abortion. It was up for it was up for consideration in a special election yesterday and the only issue on the ballot. It would have required at least 60 percent of voters to pass any future amendments to the state constitution which would include the upcoming abortion-proposed constitutional amendment in November. As it is, it will only take a simple majority to pass it. U.S. bishops are crying foul after the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission released proposed regulations that would use the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act to advance abortion. Bishop Michael Burbage released a statement saying this is wrong and contrary to the purpose of the act, which is to help make it possible for working mothers to remain gainfully employed if desired while protecting their health and that of their preborn children. Bishop Burbage said they supported the act. He said, quote, the act is pro-worker, pro-family and pro-life. It is a total distortion to use this law as a means for advancing abortion and the complete opposite of needed assistance for pregnant mothers, end quote. The U.S. saw a record number of billion-dollar weather disasters in the first seven months of this year. Mark Mayfield reports. A new report from the National Centers for Environmental Information says 15 disasters were confirmed between January and July. That's the highest number since 1980. It includes 13 severe storms, one winter storm, and one flooding. The cost totals nearly $40 billion and 113 fatalities. I'm Mark Mayfield. Russia is being accused of carrying out what's being called a particularly evil attack in Ukraine. Officials say Russia overnight fired a missile at an apartment building full of civilians in eastern Ukraine and then fired another missile at first responders. At least seven people were killed, including rescue workers. The attack came as reports were surfacing that Russia might be plotting to assassinate the Ukrainian president. Pope Francis has resumed his Wednesday general audiences today. They had been suspended through the month of July as per usual. The Holy Father used his catechesis time to reflect on his experience in the past week in Portugal for World Youth Day. He called it a gift of God felt by all. The Holy See yesterday released the Pope's theme for the next World Day of Peace on January 1st, which will focus on artificial intelligence and peace. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi reports. In the next World Day of Peace message, Pope Francis will call for an open dialogue on the meaning of the new technologies endowed with disruptive possibilities and ambivalent effects. The recurrence is celebrated every January 1st, the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. It was established in 1967, instituting a long tradition of messages from the Holy Father, exhorting all people to reflect on important subjects in relation to the work of building peace. In his next message, Pope Francis is going to stress the importance to be vigilant while working on the implementation of new technologies such as the artificial intelligence, so that the logic of violence and discrimination does not take root in the production and use of such devices at the expense of the most fragile and excluded, as injustice and inequalities fuel conflicts and antagonisms. The message will also 
also touch on the impelling need to orient the concept and use of artificial intelligence in a responsible way, aiming at having it at the service of humanity and the protection of our common home. This will not be possible without extending that ethical reflection to the fields of education and law. The statement concluded by affirming how the protection of the dignity of the person and concern for a fraternity effectively open to the entire human family represent indispensable conditions for technological development to help contribute to the promotion of justice and peace in the world. I am Edoardo Giribaldi. More Americans are dipping into their 401k accounts because of financial distress. That according to Bank of America data saying they did so because of inflation. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Which are the means instituted by our Lord to enable men at all times to share in the fruits of their redemption? The means instituted by our Lord to enable men at all times to share in the fruits of their redemption are the church and the sacraments. Our Lord, in order to extend his presence through space and time, gave us his mystical body, the church. We then, in baptism, are incorporated into his body, and thereby we enter into the rest of the sacraments by which we can gain grace and receive the graces of the redemption won for us in the cross and resurrection of Christ. He said, my church will be one, it will be holy, it will be Catholic and apostolic. And if any church is not these, you can be sure it is not my church. And through those marks, then, we can recognize that God gives us grace even now through his mystical body, the church. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Will Peterson. He's president and founder of Modern Catholic Pilgrim, and this is the organization that is managing the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage leading up to the National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis. Will, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be on it. It is great to have you. Now, first of all, just tell us a little bit about your organization, Modern Catholic Pilgrim. Sure. So we're a Catholic nonprofit that 
has a mission of deepening faith and building community across the United States through walked pilgrimage in the Catholic tradition, just recognizing that this is one of our oldest forms of prayer in the Church and something that can really be developed as part of our culture of prayer here in the United States. So we've been doing that for about six years now. Wait, did you say walked Catholic pilgrimage? How is that Correct. modern? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Well, I think, yeah, for us, that sense of the modern of like bringing that, you know, one of the oldest traditions of the walk into Rome or the Holy Land that, uh, you know, our Catholic forebears were doing for centuries and, and bringing that onto our modern walkways here in the United States. Love uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it no I think it's great. So uh, now you are heading up the the planning of the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage as I was saying uh leading into the National Eucharistic Congress that's taking place in Indianapolis next summer. So tell us about how this pilgrimage is going to play out because it's actually I guess you could say uh, a few pilgrimages <laughs> that will culminate in one place. Right. Correct. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. One pilgrimage with four separate routes of the pilgrimage all coming together in Indianapolis. So uh, Bishop Cousins, the chair of the National Eucharistic Revival and the Congress and, you know, the the wonderful leadership team at the Congress uh, really had this great vision for an initiative of, in a lot of ways, like uh, galvanizing young people and then also just, you know, the, the faithful writ large in the United States along four routes coming from the east, west, north and south. Uh, over two months to arrive at Indianapolis in time for the Congress. And so we're doing it as a Eucharistic pilgrimage, which means that each route, so one starts at the Headwaters Mississippi River in northern Minnesota, one starts in New Haven, Connecticut, the burial site of Blessed Michael McGivney, one starts at uh, the border in Brownsville, Texas, and one starts on the coast in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, these young adults, accompanied by a priest chaplain, will be doing essentially a series of Eucharistic processions as they walk across the country to Indianapolis to attend this Congress, this great holy site, uh, and, and inviting people to take part in those processions, their walking, their events at parishes along the way, you know, masses throughout on each route. Sure. Okay. So if you look at kind of a, a big map of the United States and see these pilgrimages, listeners will see that it, it looks like a cross— coming from the east and the west and the north and the south, as as you were saying. But, Will, will you take us behind the scenes a little bit? I mean, aside from the idea of making it look like a cross, which I'm sure was intentional, um, yes. how did you choose the routes that you did? Uh, you know, again, a, a lot of it so is through the leadership of, of the uh, team of the Congress and Bishop Cousins, the sense that, you know, the Headwaters of Mississippi River, a great site, just American site, up from the north, and then Blessed Michael McGivney being a great uh, leader in our church, and, you know, example, the Knights of Columbus, so he helped found the Knights of Columbus, and uh, so a wonderful starting point in the east, and then just coming up, I mean, from our southern border in the sense of going through the Gulf Coast, which is so historically, traditionally Catholic here in the United States, and then uh, out of the west, just a, a site that's, you know, a major starting point, of course, there as well. So, uh, just these opportunities to go into these dioceses and then to travel through. I think we're getting close to about 70 dioceses through which we travel on the four routes. Nice. So it's over a third of the dioceses in the United States will have a route come through them, including the great Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And so making it, again, just being accessible to the people, this opportunity to take part even in a small way with this 
national pilgrimage event. I see you've done your homework on the Sunrise Morning <laughs> Show. Thank you for uh, mentioning our great Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Excited to have the pilgrimage coming through here for sure. Um, we're talking to Will Peterson. He's the president and founder of Modern Catholic Pilgrim, which is uh, undergoing uh, the planning of the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage. And each of these routes is named for someone significant in American Catholic history. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So the northern route is the Marian route in a special way given to Our Lady because we get to stop at a number of Marian shrines, but including the now recently renamed National Shrine of Our Lady of Champion. So just outside Green Bay, Wisconsin, is the only Vatican-approved Marian apparition to have occurred in the United States. So this is saying, you know, the Vatican says, yes, Mary appeared here. And so in a way, you get to then take on the name of the site, which is a beautifully named town of Champion, Wisconsin. And so, like, that's essentially our Lord, or Fatima, you know, uh, Guadalupe. And so to be able to stop there just felt appropriate to name that the Marian route. The route out of that eastern route we call the St. Elizabeth Ann Seton route for her great devotion to the Eucharist and her great work in the eastern part of the United States. Coming up from Brownsville, we have the St. Juan Diego route, just honoring, again, that, that wonderful culture out of the south, that Hispanic Catholic culture. And then from the west, we have the St. Junipero Serra route, you know, that great apostle to the west coast and to California, uh, you know, specifically. So it's wonderful to have these uh, North American, you know, of course, Our Lady just transcends all, but uh, these great representations of, of the Catholic faith here in the United States to walk with and under their mantle and their intercession. Yeah, those who are on the uh, Sarah route are going to be have to be as uh, as uh, stout as he was <laughs> in terms yes. of, wow, they have a long pilgrimage to make to Indianapolis, starting in San Francisco. And that kind of leads me to my last question for you, Will. Um, sure. Even though uh, this also happens uh, for for the Eastern pilgrims uh, coming on the Seton route, but how is Jesus going to cross the mountains? So there will be times where we do have a support vehicle, and uh, we'll have it like a, a traveling chapel, as it as it were, where there might cool. be points where we have to drive certain sections. But we do intend, I believe, to have. Uh, a, at least some sort of prayer service and to expose Christ in the monstrance at the highest point there in Colorado and the Rockies as you go over into Denver. So we're really excited by that opportunity to bring Christ to this highest point and just to, to bless our country as we make our way to Indianapolis for a wonderful events at the Congress. Wow. Thank you so much, Will Peterson. You can find this pilgrimage linked at sonrisemorningshow.com if you want to get more information. Matt, could you imagine... Eucharistic adoration at the highest point you can get Jesus in the United States. That'd be pretty cool. Be pretty cool. Climb that mountain. Mm-hmm. You could call that for the Frasati route. The Frasati route. I don't or know. The, you know, the John Paul II route. Yeah, or the John Paul II route. That's true. I'm trying to think of who the mountain climber said. The St. Simeon Stylites route. See the guy you are who, uh, on it today, man. Out on You're making me laugh all the time. Yeah, I like this. Yeah, they handed it like his food up to him and stuff. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. I was, um, I don't know of, I'm trying to think of, of some of the great Catholic, um, well, the great Catholics of America and if there were any mountain climbers among them. Like you wonder if like Demetrius Galitzin was... 
good well, at you know, mountain climbing. Well, you know, he mentioned St. Elizabeth you know? Ann Seton, and if you've ever been to Emmitsburg, where her shrine is, the Lord's Grotto up the hill oh. from uh, the Seton Shrine is up, I mean, it's up on kind of like a, it's like an Appalachian foothill kind of mountain, mm-hmm. but there's like this rock up there, and it's called, uh, they got a little placard that says oh, Mother yeah, Seton's she Rock. She used to walk up the top of the hill and sit on that rock and teach. So cool. That's the closest thing I can think of. Okay. Well, if anybody knows of any mountain climber, great American Catholics from our history, we should have been talking to Kevin Schmeising about this. We really should have. We got to get Kevin Schmeising on it. Absolutely. We'll figure it out. In any event, today, the Feast of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, and we are going to talk more about her with Dr. Matthew Bunsen coming up next here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 14 till. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Laura Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Divine Intimacy Radio. When you engage with the wisdom of saints this way, it stokes the fires of God in our hearts, encourages us, strengthens us, and gives us wisdom to deal with the difficulties of life. It also gives us wisdom that allows us to rise above all of the junk, to live with joy and peace in the midst of even the most difficult circumstances. Divine Intimacy Radio, Sunday, 6.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 11 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. When was the time you wish you had taken action? Share your story today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you back, especially when we are talking about my girl, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, who was born Edith Stein in a Jewish family. She would eventually become Catholic, then a Carmelite nun, and then a martyr at Auschwitz, (laughs) which is a really long, winding story, is it not? It is, but um, the remarkable life, the extraordinary life of Edith Stein, or, or Teresa Benedict of the Cross, as you say, is uh, in many ways uh, a picture-perfect understanding of the 20th century, but also of the Cross. 
And in that sense, I think she stands as a very important role model for everyone today, especially when we get into the details of her life, starting with the fact that she grew up in a house filled with a religion of faith, in this case, the religion of her parents, uh, the Jewish faith. But by the age of 14, uh, she had lost that faith. She had given up prayer. She considered herself essentially an agnostic, but really she was somebody who had wandered from her own faith and was caught in the grips of what she described as a, a kind of rationalistic relationship uh, that brought her to reject uh, God, to reject religious practice. But that, in its own way, because of her intellectual honesty, because of her pursuit of the truth, set her on a course uh, that brought her right back to the truth and brought her to Christ. I was going to say, could you could you speak about her as someone who is a model of truth-seeking? Well, for her, uh, she was trying to find uh, what she described as objective solutions. Uh, she considered herself, for example, when she uh, was uh, a young student at secondary school, uh, that she was, uh, by her own admission, a radical feminist. Sounds familiar for the journey of so many uh, mm-hmm. young women today. And then she realized that this was not objectively true. And so that brought her to, given her genius-level IQ, Uh, to the area of philosophy, of academics, and that then brought her to a great philosopher by the name of Edmund Husserl, uh, who himself influenced uh, another great uh, philosopher and theologian in the history of the Church, and that's Carol Otiva, of course, who went on to become Pope St. John Paul II. But that pursuit of the truth, similar in so many ways to Augustine of Hippo, who was constantly and relentlessly searching for the truth, She obtained a doctorate uh, in philosophy, summa cum laude. Uh, She was prevented from going on to what would have been a brilliant academic career, partly because she was a woman, partly because she was Jewish. Uh, But that did not uh, stop her from continuing that pursuit. And that also then led her to the extraordinary encounters that she had with the Christian faith, in particular uh, the the encounter that she had with the autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila, And she said that when she finished that book, she said to herself, this is the truth. And that uh, the other way that she put it was, her longing for truth was her one prayer. Wow, which is, of course, she she took the religious name Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Of course, Teresa for St. Teresa of Avila, as you were just mentioning. Where did Benedicta of the Cross come from? (laughs) Well, uh, for Benedicta, it was this deep understanding on her part of the role of the cross. She said that uh, beneath the cross, I understood the destiny of God's people. And today I know far better what it means to be the Lord's bride under the sign of the cross, and that her only vocation, she wrote, uh, will be love. And and that, I think, um, for her, we can track this journey from her loss of faith as a teenager to the coming to the understanding of truth, and now uh, finding placing herself beneath the cross, and the cross becomes this great symbol of her life and the great cause of her life. And she understood where events were turning by the 1930s uh, in Europe, and that ultimately was an understanding on her part as well of what her final destiny was going to be, but that beautiful journey that she took to get there. Yeah, talk about that that final journey that she would make, ultimately ending in Auschwitz. Well, the, the, the Nazi occupation of Europe was uh, brutal. 
uh, it was uh, a, a nightmare that had descended on the world. And the resistance to it uh, sparked great fury on the part of the Nazis to try to protect her. Uh, she had been moved by the Carmelites uh, uh, from Cologne to the Netherlands in the hopes that, that she'd be safe. But, of course, the war just kept expanding. And as a result of uh, Catholic opposition to the brutal treatment of uh, the Gestapo and the SS had brought uh, to the Netherlands, uh, she was arrested uh, along with several hundred other um, Jewish um, members of the community. And she was arrested on August 2nd, 1942, while she was praying in the chapel. And the SS then transported her to the concentration camp of Auschwitz, as you noted. Uh, and it was there, uh, we believe, around August 9th, uh, that she was sent to the gas chamber. For her, though, as she understood, as I said, all the way back in 1939, where this was headed, she wrote in this book, I had a spiritual testament that even now I accept the death that God has prepared for me in complete submission and with joy as being his most holy will for me. She added that I ask the Lord to accept my life and my death so that the Lord will be accepted by his people and that his kingdom may come in glory for the salvation of Germany and the peace of the world. She had made her own death, anticipating it some three years before it happened, a gift, a recognition of the importance and the power of the cross. You know, Dr. Bunsen, you look at pictures of her and she looks so sullen. Like a like a sourpuss. Was she a joyful person? <laughs> she was, and the intensity of her though must have been quite something to encounter. I imagine uh, we can't overlook the the level of genius of this extraordinary woman. Uh, her doctorate in philosophy was in one of the most complicated recondite subjects in all of philosophy, and that's phenomenology, and that's the study of actual phenomena. And, and we could spend days just trying to unpack uh, the, the school of phenomenology. Let's just say, as with Carol Wojtyla, you have to be really smart to study a lot of this. <laughs> but, but beyond that, uh, it, it, how to interpret it and bring it into the lives of everyone else. And that was one of her goals. But, but she always had as her purpose studying a topic like phenomenology, but then trying in her own brilliant way to connect it. Uh, to reality, to connect it to the faith, and especially to Thomas Aquinas. And, and for that, we are so grateful to her. We really are. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, pray for us. Pray for us. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, thank you so much. Great to be with you. It was great to have you. And Matt, just quickly, we've been talking about it. One of these days, I'm pretty sure Dr. Matthew Bunsen will be doing a Doctors of the Church episode on Teresa that's Benedicta not, of the Cross. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Oh. The way you set that up, I thought you said one of these days, Dr. Matthew Bunsen is going to be a doctor. Well, that wouldn't surprise me either, quite honestly. Add him to the list. I knew that guy. I know. How cool. Back again tomorrow. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. So you just got home.